Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. On this episode, Brian talks with Jess Haas from Yellowstone Forever, the official nonprofit partner with the National Park Service in Yellowstone National Park. Yellowstone Forever helps with educational programming, funding research, and runs bookstores in the park. Okay, I'm here with Jess Haas, and uh, Jess is a program manager for Yellowstone Forever. She develops curriculum and programming for youth and college students and also conducts teacher workshops. Hi, Jess. How are you? Hi, Brian. I am great. Thanks so much. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us here. So I guess my first question is, what is Yellowstone Forever? What, what, what is your role? Uh, Yellowstone Forever is the official nonprofit partner uh, with the Park Service in Yellowstone National Park. And so to put that into sort of on-the-ground terms, that means that we are helping Park Service through uh, various means, and that might be educational programming. That also might be some funding for some of the research that's happening in the park um, with native fish, for instance. That's one of our big projects. Um, and then we also have uh, some of the bookstores and uh, educational stores that are in the park uh, and outside the park in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So that's sort of what we do as a whole. And then I myself work for the Institute branch of Yellowstone Forever, and I directly work with the educational programming a lot with high schools and also colleges and universities. And then, as you mentioned, my favorite time of the year is when I get to be out in the field and conducting the teacher workshops that we do throughout the season. Uh, that sounds good, and it sounds like Yellowstone Forever is an institution that's been around for a little while. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, we've gone through several iterations, um, being the uh, Library and Museum Association, and then um, just recently have actually merged from the Yellowstone Association, which was the educational par- partner of the park, and then also the philanthropy partner of the park. And so we've merged, which was the Yellowstone Park Foundation. Mm-hmm. And so now we've merged, and Yellowstone Forever is actually the new name of the organization, which came around just last November. So, so we're looking at almost a year now. Well, congratulations on the almost year anniversary of, of the incorporated <laughs> uh, empire of Yellowstone Forever. And I, I do want to pick your brain on... on all the activities and, and a lot of the things that you can suggest because uh, clearly you have an intimate knowledge. But before before I get to that, I'd love to underscore some of the importance of a public-private partnership like Yellowstone Forever. Um, we've mentioned it once or twice in this podcast, but uh, I'm a parks commissioner for New York State Parks, in particular Long Island State Parks. So nothing on the scale of, uh, of Yellowstone, of course, although – one of our parks actually gets more visitors uh, per year than even Yellowstone, and that's that's Jones Beach. And we find it uh, increasingly important that we have thing your analogs like Yellowstone Forever public-private partnerships to help augment the, uh, all the activities that our own park service, state park service, is doing. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that role in augmenting the National Park Service? Because uh, with the context of someone may say, well, w- wait a minute, I thought – I thought Yellowstone was National Park Service, Department of Interior, and my tax dollars or my admission fee uh, takes care of everything. Why, why, why does Yellowstone forever need to exist? 
Yeah, and you sort of hit the nail on the head there with with that comment about thinking that the park dollars are what fund everything in the park. Um, and there are sort of, it's kind of a two-pronged reason for why um, the partnership here is such a great one. And I am so grateful to work in this type of partnership with the National Park Service. But funding is a big one. And so when um, funding, when the budget is done through the National Park Service, um, federal funding sometimes doesn't cover all of the avenues that the Park Service wants to address in order order to make sure they're protecting the resource and also enabling our visitors to have a quality experience while they're in the park. And so it's very, very helpful for them to have a private partnership with, uh, with Yellowstone Forever so that uh, we can potentially help support some of those things that are happening inside the park that go sort of beyond what federal funding is able to provide there. And then secondly, I'm sure most people are probably pretty familiar with the fact that there are hoops that um, the National Park Service has to jump through, and there are hoops that nonprofits need to jump through in order to accomplish many of their goals. And so a lot of times we can be helpful in that end, um, and that comes a lot through our fundraising, which the National Park Service can't do, but we can. Mm -hmm. And so we're able to sort of provide a conduit for visitors and maybe those who haven't even visited but are planning to, for them to support the park and uh, funnel those the, the monetary gifts and in-kind donations as well, but monetary gifts into the Park Service so that they can accomplish what they need to. Right, right. And so I'm leading the jury clearly here but because uh, uh, you and I are on the same page. But this is where – this is not news here. This is where a lot of, of parks are heading, this sort of public-private partnership. And, and it's very symbiotic, right? I, I would imagine sometimes if if you have a fundraising campaign, it demonstrates – enough interest that then the federal government can get involved and put their own do- taxpayer dollars at work. And it's kind of a one plus one equals three type of solution. Uh, whereas if there wasn't enough uh, interest from from either private sector or private donations, then it's something, whatever the ac- an activity, operational or, or something with the physical plan, that the federal government may say, well, it, it doesn't seem like anyone really cares. So we'll, we'll put our scarce tax dollars somewhere else. But I imagine... Uh, you have that symbiotic relationship with the parks as well. Yeah, you know, I um, I can't, I don't think I can speak on to how we do, how matching funds are occurring with the federal government, um, but I know that there are very specific things that federal funds are saying, you know, we, we are not, you cannot use these funds for this. And luckily, with our partnership, we can sort of swoop in and say, hey, but we have some funds and you can use it for right. that particular priority because we trust you and we think the Park Service uh, can can decide what their priorities are, um, and so I I think that is one of our um, that where that symbiosis really comes into play there. Right. Well, th- thank you, Jess. And I just wanted to kind of set the set the stage on your role and Yellowstone Forever's role with the parks, and uh, and again, a, an increasingly important role. But now, I want to kind of get into something I'm pretty excited about. We've Danielle and I visited Yellowstone back in December, and we've already had a podcast on our trip report. We've interviewed naturalists and scientists and, and authors, all of whom have had a great perspective. But uh, one thing we wanted to tackle with such a park, such a big park, is kind of the basics of, wait, how do, how do I plan this? How do I tackle managing a visit to Yellowstone National Park with my family? 
when there's so much available. And so I think just I'll start there at the, at the top level, and then maybe we can talk about some different itineraries or some of the some of your, your some of your great anecdotes. But uh, how should a family just approach planning a trip to Yellowstone? What what kind of overall suggestions would you have? I think one of the best places to start when you're planning your trip um, is to, of course, maybe do, depending on the age of students you have, if they're already familiar with what maybe Yellowstone has to offer as far as wildlife and thermal features. But I think the, the most important piece is to really go around the table and say, what is the big thing you want to see when we go on our trip? Um, and I think then having that list of priorities is really a great foundation to start planning the exact stops. Because as you mentioned, Yellowstone is so big. And so depending on which area of the park you're in, and you and Danielle got to experience this as well, um, you see a really, really varied landscape as well as varied wildlife um, and thermal features. And so knowing what everyone is really excited to see is a great place to start. And then that also helps out when you are asking questions to maybe park rangers or someone who's at an info desk uh, at the gateway communities to sort of say, here's what we decided we really want to see. Where's the best place to go to see these things? Um, and those, those folks are really helpful at telling you, okay, you've got your priorities set already. Let me tell you what's been happening in the park recently. Right. So just don't roll in and say, okay, Yellowstone, entertain me. It's uh, have, have a notion of what you'd want to do because chances are what you'd want to do, there's something there. If it's fishing, you can build a whole two-week trip just around fishing. If uh, you want to get in the back country in, um, in Roosevelt country, you can just do that for many weeks, right? So having a sense of what you'd want to do probably is going to be a uh, a little bit easier to kind of guide, and then you can ask the right questions. I would imagine that's that's kind of your idea. Exactly. That's exactly it. Okay. Despite that good advice, let's pretend I'm not going to follow that advice, and I'm just coming to you and saying, okay, I have, uh, uh, Jess, I have a family. Uh, I have young children, uh, let's say ages eight and five. What's an itinerary that you think we should we should think about? for a 10-day summer vacation. All right. So when when we have families that are coming in and we're looking at specifically uh, the ages that you mentioned, you know, eight and five or somewhere around around those ages, it's really, really fun to focus in on what the, the biggest and the best things are in Yellowstone. And so um, really looking at what makes this place unique. And that's where, especially with, um, with all visitors really, but especially with visitors who maybe they don't know what they're about to step into and they say, I just want to have a really great experience here in the park and I want to immerse myself in it. With kids, what we find is that it's really great to pull out all of those pieces that are probably different than what their home community is like. And so, for instance, this fall right now, if this were the time the group was visiting, um, Yellowstone is very cyclical with the seasons, not just with the foliage or um, the color of the grasses, that sort of thing, but also with our wildlife. And so right now we have the elk rut happening up in Mammoth Hot Springs. 
And so that provides a family with a free showing of the best wildlife show in town. Um, it's a short drive into the park, and so there's not a lot of car activities that have to happen between the entrance and Mammoth Hot Springs. And then it's really quite a spectacle to see the elk rut, um, to see these bull elk run around making a noise that is pretty surprising to come out of a big male animal like that. Um, and seeing the females herd up, sort of watching their behavior, that is something that's really, really special. Of course, you're probably not going to spend 10 days doing that. Right. And so uh, as, as you and Danielle probably did, I think we would pull out the highlights of each of sort of the regions of Yellowstone and say, okay, you spent some time in that, that northwest corner of Mammoth there. So now let's send you down to Old Faithful. Mm. And uh, here are some of the great things we might do at Old Faithful. Um, specifically the new Grand Prismatic Overlook, which I just did with my family two weeks ago, and it's spectacular. And uh, despite the uh, all of the social trails that used to be up the hillside, mm -hmm. now the Park Service has created this amazing graded wide trail and the view from the top of the thermal feature and the 72 different colors you can find inside of it is, is just spectacular. 72 different colors. Well, well, certainly that sounds like a highlight, but you actually hit on something I was going to ask. Because uh, Danielle and I have wrestled with this visiting other parks. Do you take the time you have, hunker down in one section of the park, and just do what you can in that one section? Or do you try to you know, do the grand tour? But you're saying, look, if, if you can, you would recommend going from Mammoth Country to Geyser Country if, if one can. That You think that's doable and not imposing too much on the trip. I think if you are looking at this trip as a once-in-a-lifetime trip, I think that it's really important to touch on a lot of the different places that are in, that are in Yellowstone. And I would even suggest if we go back to the scenario you laid out for me with uh, 10 days in Yellowstone, mm -hmm. that maybe you spend, maybe you spend those first five days in all of the different regions, but then you sort of have a family get together and you decide what places were our favorite, where could we possibly spend these, these last few days, and then delve further into maybe uh, different trails in the area or the cultural history that's really place-based and specific to a certain location. Um, but I really think that if this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, going to several of those places is a really great way to get an overview of the park. I think, however, if you're saying, you know, we're going to come to Yellowstone again, so why don't we spend our 10 days uh, in the northern area of the park, um, in the Lamar Valley, and spend it on wildlife? You could do that, and I could give you trail suggestions for all 10 of those days because it wouldn't get old and it wouldn't get boring. Right, right. Actually, that's great advice. I may we may steal that um, for our next trip, uh, regardless of what park we're going to. I like the idea of just us all as a family uh, visiting the park, getting a lay of the land over a, a three or four days, and then saying, "Okay," getting buy-in from the kids, saying, "Okay, what, what did you like the best? Let's let's go into that one section." So that's I, I really like that idea, especially for kids. Um, I think maybe we should back up, talk about the different regions of the park. 
Uh, Jess, if you can give a quick description of the different, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of read them out and you give a quick description. And then uh, I, I think maybe give some suggestions of the highlights people should not miss and what makes that particular region uh, special. Or if you think, look, you know, something is so out of the way that only if you're a um, hardcore backpacker and you want to really get in the backcountry, you know, fade this a bit. But uh, let's just start with uh, with Mammoth Country. So what is Mammoth Country and where is it? All right. So Mammoth is in the Mammoth Country, as you've, you've called it, um, is in the northwest corner of the park um, and is based out of sort of Mammoth Hot Springs, I would say, is that, that centering ground there. And in Mammoth Hot Springs, we have amazing thermal features. Mm -hmm. And so there's hot water, obviously, under most, a lot of places in the park. Um, And Mammoth Hot Springs is one of the closest places to an entrance where you can see that hot water expressed on the landscape. And so there are these beautiful white terraces uh, showing showing some travertine that has uh, come out of the water that's coming from the ground to the surface and is built up kind of an alien landscape up in Mammoth Hot Springs. And so there are, I would say, miles of boardwalks. I don't know the exact mileage, but there are lots of boardwalks around those various features that you can take a look at. Um, And in the wintertime, those boardwalks are open to, can be kind of slippery, sometimes covered with snow, um, but they make for a really, really excellent view of of the first sort of area of thermal features there in, in Mammoth Country. And then Mammoth is also really spectacular when it comes to the cultural history of the park. Currently, Yellowstone's headquarters, the National Park Service headquarters for Yellowstone, is in Mammoth Hot Springs. And if we go back in history, uh, that's where Fort Yellowstone was, and that's where, before we had a park service, really the park headquarters were, and they were, they were sort of managing the park from that location. But it wasn't the park service. It was the army. And so just walking through the village of Mammoth Hot Springs, you can see those buildings are from that era. And um, you can see where the barracks used to be, the visitor center that's there, which has just been redone and is really exceptional, um, that you could go there and really get the background, the history of that, that place, and also see that the building itself is historic. Right. So you get a little bit of the outdoors, you get a little bit of historical context. And again, uh, one part of that historical context, Jess, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was uh, Buffalo Soldiers. It, it, was that where they were billeted when, uh, when they were helping to manage the park in its infancy, the, the African-American, African-American soldiers? Is that, is that where they were located? Uh, that that's where that is where they came through as well, and that's one of the surprising pieces of Yellowstone. Um, we we don't focus always on all of the different demographics throughout time that have shaped this landscape, and right there is one of them. Right. Okay. So, uh, Canyon Country. So, what 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 could we see in Canyon Country? How would you how would you attack that? All right. Well, Canyon Country right now, a really exciting project that's happening there um, is that, I guess I should back up a little bit. Um, Canyon Country is the place where in Yellowstone you can see some of the largest waterfalls within the park. And so there are two waterfalls with great, great viewing points uh, that you can that you can check out, places where you can go to the brink of those waterfalls. But additionally, 
really exciting projects are happening there now. And we, the Park Service is rebuilding some of the overlooks mm-hmm. to make sure that all of them are accessible. And so that's a really exciting piece that the Park Service is integrating into wanting to make sure we can serve all of the visitors that come to Yellowstone. So just as a forewarning that a lot of the places in the canyon area over the next two years, maybe a little longer than that, um, are, are being modified. And so some of those places might be closed off. Um, but there are still lots of places to go in the canyon area. Uh, good advice. Well, or worst case scenario, it gives you a good excuse to come back, right? So uh, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and I know we're not giving we're not uh, giving the justified time we need to each of these sections of the park, but just to give a flavor. So Roosevelt Country, including the Lamar Valley. So what what would we see there, and how would we think about that? All right. So when you Google Yellowstone, undoubtedly. Old Faithful might come up, but also bison or elk or wolves. And Lamar is really the heart of that, and that's what is often referred to as the Serengeti of, of the Yellowstone. The Serengeti of the Yellowstone. So, again, I think when we were there, we were told, you want to see wolves. Lamar Valley is where you would have your best chance of seeing wolves. So, again, the Serengeti of Yellowstone, is a, that's a pretty apt description. So for your animal, for, yeah. for your wildlife viewing. Um, getting to, uh, so this is an obvious one. So you, you talked about the Google exercise when, uh, old faithful shows up. So geyser country, so pretty obvious what we, we would see there, but that's kind of the, uh, that would be kind of the heart of the park, correct? Yeah, that's, that's what most people think of when they think of, um, Yellowstone, they think of old faithful, right? And so, um, definitely something you probably would not want to miss is old faithful and, uh, the, the geyser area down, down in that direction. But the geyser area isn't just at old faithful. There are lots of boardwalks to walk there, but there are also several other geyser areas that are nearby, um, that are sort of a drivable distance from old faithful if you're basing out of the village there. Um, but a drivable distance to see other types of thermal features. Such as what, what are some of those examples of uh, some of those that are a drivable distance? Yes, that's a great question. Um, there are quite a few, and specifically, I had sort of talked a little bit about uh, Grand Prismatic, which is in mm-hmm. Midway Geyser Basin, and so that is definitely a spot, Midway Geyser Basin, uh, where I mentioned those 72 different colors. I don't know if that's actually a specific number, but I think the longer you look, the more colors you can see in those those hot springs. Let's go with it. Um, and in addition to that, yeah, Black Sand, Black Sand Basin is another place that's just outside of Old Faithful and is a little bit quieter of a geyser basin, but is a spot that you can go check out the thermal features of Yellowstone in as well. Quieter in terms of foot traffic, or oh. is it a quiet geyser? <laughs> quieter in terms of foot traffic. Uh, you know, we haven't really done any acoustic, uh, I don't think we've done any acoustic studies in the geyser basin <laughs> getting uh, what's louder and what's quieter. So um, I'll, I'll have to work on that one. That's your, ne- that's your next fundraising opportunity, right? We, we, can, get some, we can get some science behind that. Uh, but that is a very, uh, that's a very good question. I want to revisit that in terms of kind of managing and mitigating crowds, especially when, if you're there. Um, in peak season, but just to kind of finish out, um, so the lake, the the lake country. So, so obviously we can see a lake there and, and what else, what else could we do in lake country? 
Great. Yeah, you're right. You can see a lake and you can also um, check out the historic uh, lake hotel that's, that's in Yellowstone as well, which has some great stories of shipwrecks, great stories and also maybe some tall tales of shipwrecks as well that go along with uh, the lake and also some of the islands that you can see within the lake. But right in that area, I know we left geyser country um, but all along the lake there are actually or not all along the lake but in several spots along the lake there are also uh, thermal features there and so West Thumb Geyser Basin is a really excellent place for um, for someone to go to see the backdrop of the lake but also thermal features sometimes cones that have been built up uh, from geysers and thermal water right inside the lake. And yeah. so it's a really excellent juxtaposition of, of the lake and, and West Thumb right there. What's that one called? Is it like fishing pot? Uh, uh, we did West Thumb in winter and there's one that's, you write out in the lake and what was it called? Fishing pot or something like that, where I, I guess the legend was you'd, you'd, you'd haul in a fish, you throw it right in that thermal fissure and then, you know, 45 seconds later, you've got dinner ready. You've got your fish boiled and ready to go. Exactly. Yep, that's fishing cone. And I also want to say that West Thumb, the best time to visit it is in the winter. So you really lucked out. Um, oh, wow. But yep, that's exactly it. And that's the, that is the the legend as well. Um, we we discourage that now. Of course. <laughs> but uh, I don't think I don't think that fish would be very tasty anyway. I'm not sure anyone would want to eat that after boiling in a, in the thermal feature. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, and just finishing up, and I know this is a super quick. Uh, uh, tour through Yellowstone, but just finishing with Norris and the Beckler region. So, um, what's where are they, and, what, and what's there? All right. So, um, if we're talking through, so then now we're we're kind of looking uh, down at the the south central slash southwestern portion of, of the park here. And uh, the Beckler is often talked about as this amazing place that you backpack into and is away from most things. But there are some really, I guess, by saying most things, I mean most visitors, but there are some really special places as far as waterfalls go, hot springs, that sort of thing. And so the, the Beckler River goes through, goes through that area, and it's a pretty popular backpacking spot there. Um, and Norris, you kind of mentioned Norris, too, which is a little bit um, further north from the, from the Beckler area. But that's another geyser area, thermal feature area, and that is where we have the most dynamic thermal features. It's the hottest. It's changing the most. And also the largest geyser, steamboat geyser, can be found there too. Uh, and probably less visited, I would imagine, than kind of the standard route and uh, the standard track in geyser country. Um, I So I will say that Norris Kaiser Basin is uh, limited by its parking. And so you would be amazed at how quickly in the morning it fills up as folks are coming from the north entrance and they're stopping at Norris on their way to Old Faithful, perhaps. And so it's definitely one that is best viewed at the early morning. Okay. So now we, we got this quick, uh, this quick rip through uh, Yellowstone National Park by regions. Now, obviously, and we can talk about hikes, We've talked, we just brushed upon fishing, wildlife viewing. Um, what struck me in all the things that are available at Yellowstone, there's myriad other activities aside from 
hiking, wildlife viewing, fishing, um, all great things, uh, but not the usual stuff. Do you want to talk about some of the act, maybe even some of the things that Yellowstone Forever puts on, but some of the other activities that um, one could participate in or family could participate in uh, while at, on their vacation at Yellowstone? Definitely. Um, we have, there are so many things to do in Yellowstone. You are right. And there are some really not just unique things to see, but also some unique experiences that are here that um, maybe don't involve backpacking or fishing. Um, and one of those in particular is the uh, Roosevelt Cookout. So um, in the Roosevelt area, which we talked a little about earlier, um, you can actually jump on to either a horse <laughs> or a wagon that's drawn by horses and uh, you make your way to a spot where there is a cookout that is pretty secluded an area there which is lovely in the middle of Yellowstone there and uh, you have this great great dinner barbecue dinner and uh, there are songs and stories that are told at the same time and so that's quite uh, quite an experience for for a family for anyone really um, I also love doing that <laughs> I'm really glad you mentioned that because uh, I saw that as something that looked really like a lot of fun, but I couldn't tell if it was just me who thought it was a lot of fun and everyone else would find it hokey. So I'm glad you mentioned that right away because it seems like a, it seems like a lot of fun to, you know, the old chuck wagon and, and go out and go out somewhere in the back country and uh, I don't know, eat beans and meat. It just seems like a lot of fun. It is, it is really fun. <laughs> and, and I think even if someone starts the, starts that chuck wagon ride with maybe not quite a smile on their face, they're going to end it with a big grin. That's, that's great. So what are some of the other activities along those lines that you, uh, that wouldn't be apparent when you first think about your trip to Yellowstone? Yeah. So one of the, one of the big things, um, that, that groups are, or that, I guess student groups, but also families that come through um, are doing is that people really, really love to swim in the Firehole River and also soak in the Boiling River, um, which are both near hot spring thermal water areas, um, but are not in them. And those are the only two places that you can technically swim in Yellowstone, but it's a great experience. I can speak on the Boiling River just a little bit in that it's about a 15-minute walk in or, or a short hike in, and then you have this this great area that is basically a natural little soaking pool. And so for those those folks who are used to maybe the cement-bottomed public pools, this is a great way to sort of experience geology firsthand with soaking in the thermal waters there. Great family activity. Got to remember to bring your, uh, your, sand, your water shoes or your sandals. Right. So flip-flops don't do well in the in Boiling River. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then lastly, I just also wanted to mention that um, one, of, one of the perks of coming to Yellowstone and participating, we do family programs at Yellowstone Forever. And one of the perks is that there are multiple families there together. And so it's sort of like you all get to vacation together with your family, but you also get to have some other families joining you as well. And so there can be multiple kids from different families on the same, the same bus who are, you know, finding out what they have in common and sort of enjoying the park together. And uh, all that goes for parents and guardians too, where they kind of get to have their side conversations on um, what they're enjoying in Yellowstone. Um, and then we also do a program out of the Lamar Buffalo Ranch, which we like to call a choose your own adventure program. And uh, staying at the Lamar Buffalo Ranch is 
such a huge draw. It is something that's really special. It's in the heart of Lamar there. And uh, coming on a program with us, you're able to stay there with your family and in the historic cabins and then are able to uh, leave from Lamar Valley each day to sort of experience a different part of the park. Wow, that's that's very convenient. So a lot of activities going on now that, that you can take advantage of. It sounds like a lot of those activities are probably during the high season or are they available spring, summer, and fall? How, how would you manage that? If you wanted to take advantage of all these, do you have to come in the summertime? Uh, you, a lot of them you do have to do in the summer. The cookout only happens in the summer. Um, we have programming year round, but we don't have specific family programming except for in the summer because kids are usually in school at that for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. However, the shoulder seasons, lovely times to come, spring and fall. Uh, you can always still swim uh, when you're here in the spring or the fall as long as the runoff isn't too high during the spring. Um, we are always always at the whim of nature here in Yellowstone. And so those are things you have to not necessarily worry about, but those are things you have to be aware of. And so sometimes the Boiling River is closed because of high runoff. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, a lot of those activities happening in the summer, but still spring and fall, able to uh, to get out um, to stay, perhaps stay at the Buffalo Ranch or stay inside the park at the hotels um, before they before they close up for the season. How so? What, along those lines, how would you suggest to mitigate the crowd? So you would say you are there during high season, and you, you know you kind of want to see some of the greatest hits. Is there some best practices you would suggest so you're not you can minimize your frustration? You're not stuck in traffic on on the main routes. How, how would you suggest one should think about that? Yeah, um, I think it's really important that that. Families set their expectations correctly right when they come here and know that we have billions of folks that come through the park. <laughs> Maybe not billions, but millions. <laughs> we don't have billions. Um, but there are lots of folks that come through the park each year. And to set your expectations correctly is really important. And to know that at some points you might be on at an overlook with another 50 people. Mm-hmm. You might be on a boardwalk where you're slightly close to other people because there's a hundred of you walking this, this same boardwalk looking at the thermal features. However, there are great techniques to getting away from that. And so one of those that I recommend for everyone who's coming through the park, actually, um, is that once the 8 o'clock hour hits, it's too late to start driving through the park. (laughs) If you can start your trip before that, and even between seven and eight, that is really um, that and earlier. If you, if you want to get up even earlier, though you're on vacation, that's really one of the best pieces of, pieces of advice we can give to people um, because the lines aren't as long to the, through the entrance gates, um, Mm -hmm. the lines to get into parking areas, aren't as long. And so you, you really have a chance to sort of make some ground um, on your trip into the center, into the interior of the park while you're, um, while you're, if you leave so early. Yeah, we, we, uh, you were perfect there because that's exactly what we were leading to. We, for our other podcasts, the other parks we've gone to, it's the same advice, which is the earlier you start, the better off you're going to be. And you can, uh, you can hopefully avoid some of the crowds as best as you can. And, if it's something uh, you're worried about getting up too early when you're on vacation, uh, you know, we tell folks 
you know, that's what mid-afternoon when it's, if it's summertime and it's hot, you come back to your campsite and you take a nap in the hammock during the high heat. But at the very least, if you can get up and out, it's the best way to avoid crowds. And also we just had a, a prior podcast that will, will be live here pretty quick is, uh, for animal viewing. Uh, you know, the advice we were given, if you, if you want to go to Lamar and see as many animals as one can, uh, especially wolves, it's going to have to be early, right? So that's a great way to also be out there with the with the animals, uh, the animals as well. What about? Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and you you really mentioned a, a great tip as well. That is, you know, maybe get out and do your driving in the morning. Uh, near dawn and then at dusk too. But in the middle of the day, maybe that's when you spend your whole day at the Canyon Village or you spend your whole afternoon, middle of the day at the Old Faithful Village. And that way, you can really immerse yourself in that specific location without potentially dealing with all of the traffic that's coming in and out of there. And you can do the main boardwalks. But you can also get yourself off the beaten path a little bit and also sort of hiking in some of those trails. There's a great one at Old Faithful called Observation Point, and uh, um, it's a great way to get you off the boardwalk. It's a little bit of a hike, and it's a little bit of an ascent, but it's a great way to get yourself off the boardwalk and to have a totally different view of that area of the park. And that's the other thing. Time and again, uh, most trails even if they're trails emanating from a main thoroughfare, 10 minutes into the trail, generally speaking, you're away from a lot of people. So some of that is just be thoughtful about what trails you pick out and when you go on them. And if you do want to mitigate crowds, it's a great way to uh, to get away. I guess if you're just on a boardwalk between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., you're going to be jammed up uh, no matter what. But it's not that hard to, uh, to get away from a lot of the crowds if you just look for uh, – Look for some trails that are not as well trafficked, and and you can uh, you can get out. And and by the way, yeah. I noticed uh, uh, we, you're right, and that was even better advice to think about hunkering down in uh, in some of the villages in central areas in midday. Of course, my mind went to uh, I'd like to take a nap, but that's <laughs> I guess that's the, that, you, you had a better idea. Well, maybe I don't know. Depends on the day, but you you had a that was a pretty good idea. Um, <laughs> All right, now I want to getting close to uh, the end of our time, so I kind of want to do a, a speed round with you, Jess. If I if I can just ping you with a few quick questions. So, first one: What's your favorite backcountry overnight or several overnights hike? What what what's your favorite? There is a backcountry hike that is in the sort of northeast corner of the park, and you hike over Bliss Pass. And it is near the Slough Creek area as well. Um, and that is one of my favorites. And it's probably because I have done it in late summer in the past. And I have found the most wild strawberries I have ever found anywhere there. Well, that's great. Uh, Bliss Pass. Bliss Pass. Uh, sounds descriptive. Exactly. What is the most underrated part of the park in your opinion the most underrated part of the park is the northeast area we have these old growth trees 
up in that very northeast corner. So almost even past Lamar Valley. And these trees are huge and really like nothing you see in other places in the park. Um, and also there's a great view of the absorcas from that area as well. And so that tends to be my favorite place in the park. And I also think it's pretty underrated. So this may be the same answer to all these questions, but what's your favorite front country campsite? Oh, goodness. My favorite front country campsite. Okay. So I love this particular one because you can get to it in the early season. But the area of the Yellowstone River, that's sort of in the north central part of the park, um, is called the Black Canyon of the Yellowstone. And I have backpacked there as early as the first week of May because the snow is gone, the river isn't running too high at that point, and so there's a lovely, lovely campsite that's, uh, that's there that's pretty close to, I guess that might be closer to backcountry, so I'm not really answering your question correctly, because um, you still have to hike in a little ways to get there. Um, so, so let's pause, and I can go to my front country answer. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think the, the best place to, to front country camp inside the park is uh, probably at the Madison Campground. Uh, that's a spot that's over on the west side of the park, and uh, there is occasionally some uh, a bobcat that hangs out around in that area. And it's just really close to the Madison River and that corridor, which has lots of great birding. Uh, right on that on that entrance, the west entrance there. Whoa, that may be on the on our list and the kids list because one thing we have not seen is we have not seen a bobcat in the wild, and we're we're dying to. We've we've been pretty lucky with wildlife viewing, but we haven't seen a bobcat yet in some of the parks we've gone to. They're pretty elusive, so that that could be on the list. Um, favorite Yellowstone story? Do you have kind of a Yellowstone story that you think just really encapsulated as emblematic of? of the park and, and your relationship with the park? Oh, goodness. So, like, a, a historical story, or you mean a story of mine being in the park? Uh, the latter, a personal story. The latter, a personal story. Um, I... I really love the park and all, and all it offers, and I also really love trail running. And so I am not a person that perhaps will go to the highest, most steepest ski line and feel the adrenaline coursing through my body and, and enjoy that thrill of going down it. However, when I am in the park and specifically when, um, when I'm running the, the DeLacy Creek Trail to Shoshone Lake mm-hmm. and I come across bear prints. And I know I'm being loud. I'm with a group. I have my bear spray ready. I'm doing everything right. There's still a tinge of adrenaline that comes through knowing that I'm sharing this space with a wild creature as I should be. And that makes the park really exciting to me. Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's a great anecdote to, to end on. Any other tips or suggestions you think we left out, Jess? You know, not really. I think, well, actually, I do have one, one little tip. If you can pack your lunch and not have to stop at one of the villages to, to have lunch, to have a cooked lunch, which is also a really fun thing to do, eat a meal in one of the restaurants inside the park. But packing your lunch, I encourage people to pull off wherever they see a pullout and a field, as long as it's not in the thermal area, 
right. and uh, and take a little walk and find a great place to picnic and then you know make sure to leave no trace and get all your scraps back up. But I think that's a really special way to experience a different part of the park that you probably wouldn't have even thought to stop at. Right, and I think that's part of the adventure too, and a, and and great advice to end on. So. Jess Haas, Yellowstone Forever, thank you very much for your time. This was, uh, this was great, and uh, I got a lot of great tips on it, so we were taking notes along the way. So we'll be modeling our next Yellowstone trip uh, after this call, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and it was really great talking and sort of reminiscing about the locations in the park that I've spent lots of time in. Thanks, Jess. Again, everybody, check out Yellowstone Forever for a lot more tips, activities, and other ways to help plan your trip to Yellowstone. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Bye. Hello, this is Danielle. I'm here with my good friend, Alex. And Alex and her family, her husband and her two children, ages 8 and 10, went on a tour with Yellowstone Forever this past summer. So I thought it would be fun to hear about their experience. Hi, Alex. Hi. Welcome to Everybody's National Parks. Thank you. Uh, So you want to tell us some of the highlights of your trip this summer? Yeah, sure. So we decided to do the trip because um, many years prior, my husband and I had done a trip with the uh, predecessor to Yellowstone Forever when they were called the Yellowstone Association. Um, And uh, we had such an amazing time with them that uh, when we were deciding to go, when we decided to go to Yellowstone this past summer and take the kids, I was I went straight to them to see if they had kid friendly tours as well. Uh, and the wonderful thing about them is that they're they don't do you know tour bus hop on hop off kind of things. They actually get you out into the wilderness and um, really experience Yellowstone in that way. So. Uh, it was it was really great. It was um, four days and five nights or so. I can't even remember anymore. Um, but it it was led. There were only twelve people total on the trip, which was really really nice. So we had a little mini bus kind of thing, but it was all families and it was all kids ages um, like eight or seven to twelve was the was the eldest. Um, and the guide, it was incredibly knowledgeable about all things Yellowstone and also was really great with the kids. So there were some short hikes. Um, the adult one we did was very hike heavy and we would go out all day long um, with packs. But this one, there were sort of shorter hikes. Um, there was a lot of uh, animal not just animal sightings, but we went on a hike where they knew there were some bones from different uh, animals that had died, and they spent a lot of time talking about the animals that lived in the park and how we knew what had died and how, you know, and we went to an unused uh, wolf's den, uh, and they talked about the history of wolves in Yellowstone, and they did some art projects with the kids, and we stayed at at a couple of the different lodges, um, which I think makes it a lot easier with kids than, than trying to put them, uh, in a tent after long, hot days. Um, but it was really a lot of fun. And for, for, I, you know, my husband and I had been there already and we just love Yellowstone, but the kids, it was just amazing seeing them, 
see the park for the first time. It was their their experience was was just incredible because it's such an incredible park. And why did you decide the first time when you and your husband went and then um, now with your children, uh, obviously you decided to go on the tour again since you had such a great experience with your husband. But um, why both times did you decide to go on the organized tour versus just going to Yellowstone yourselves? So um, I had been to Yellowstone a few times as a kid with my family, but it was just sort of oh, let's just go to the park. And it was just a very kind of haphazard thing. Um, And so I never really felt like I saw the park. And I'm a big planner. Um, And when I was looking, when when I was looking back when my husband and I were going um, some years ago, uh, I was actually trying to figure out a a trip just to do ourselves because we're not tour people. That's just not how we typically travel anywhere. Uh, and so it just honestly never occurred to me to do a tour. So I was trying to figure out how to do this by ourselves and what were the highlights and were we going to, you know, rent a car and did we want to camp or did we want to stay in the lodges and it, it, just the whole thing. And um, I came across purely by accident in my research, the, um, the now Yellowstone forever. It had a different name before, but um, they, what, what really struck me about them is that they were a tour group for people who don't like tour groups because they don't, they have, um, honestly, the first time that we did the tour, uh, I, it took me days to realize that these were not park rangers because they were the 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 guide was so knowledgeable and so comfortable in the park and he just knew everything there was to know that I just assumed he was a park ranger and and I mean we must have been four days in before I realized he wasn't and so that's kind of the quality that you get with them and so they 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 knew all the good places to go they know when to get there to beat the crowds if it's a crowded time of year um they they have more information about the parks than I think you could get by reading. I mean, you'd have to read twenty books to get. You know, it was sort of this this package, um, and they have different options. They have camping options. They have hiking only options. They have winter options and summer options. And they have ones that are focused on, you know, like birds, and some that are focused on the bison. And so and so, you really got to tailor the trip to what you wanted, and that's how. I decided after after um, quite a while of trying to plan this trip myself, because uh, Yellowstone is so vast and there's so much to see and do, it's it's a little bit overwhelming. Uh, that I decided to just um, go ahead with them and we'd give it a try, and we it was incredible. So I it I didn't even think twice. We were like, okay, we're gonna take the kids. Great, let's see if they have kid options, and that was kind of it. Great. And do you have one? Um, particular favorite moment or favorite experience uh, with them on this most recent trip? Um, I think for my kids, if they, if you were asking them the question, they, it was, it was my, I think it might have been the last day. We had a very leisurely lunch with the group and the guide pulled out a whole bunch of art materials, different things, watercolors and pastel crayons and a variety of different things and just let the kids sit we were right by one of the rivers and just let the kids sit there and create um the other thing that she did is right at the beginning of the trip is she gave each kid a camera 
and told them that they could take however many pictures they wanted to take. Uh, and at the end of the trip, she gave them each a flash drive with all of their pictures on it. So for them, that was, that was really incredible. Um, for me, I just watching them see, you know, the thermal features, it, it, they're just so weird and amazing. And so that was great. But I think it was one, um, evening at one of the lodges where we were staying in Grant Village, which is just tranquil and quiet and peaceful and beautiful. Uh, we went 4th of July week and there was still snow on the ground and not wow. much, not That's much. Pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. Not much snow, but there was still snow on the ground and the kids were beside themselves. They just couldn't believe it. It, they, and you know, they played in the snow and then they went down to the lake and they took off their shoes and got super muddy in the lake and it was just really fun we had uh they had become quite close with the kids from another family that was there so all these kids were just like getting messy in the mud at the lake and it was it was just really fun and they were all just amazed by you know the snow on the fourth of july or the fifth of july <laughs> or wherever it was so i would want to know if you had any interesting animal encounters that maybe you wouldn't have if you were just visiting on your own? Well, the nice thing about um, going on one of these groups is that uh, the guides know where all the animals are because they all talk to each other and because they know animal behaviors and because they, you know, are communication with the rangers. So it, you're, not, you're not going to not have an animal encounter. I mean, you're going to see bison whenever you go to Yellowstone, but you're not going to ha not have an animal encounter. The 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 um most interesting animal encounter that we had this trip was with a bear. Um it was a black bear, and when I went before with my husband, it wasn't bear season. The bears were already up the mountain. But so this time there were the bears were still down, um, and we the the guide carries bear spray with her wherever she goes, and we stopped briefly at some overlook, and we got out of the bus, and it was a tiny walk from the bus to the overlook, so she didn't bring the bear spray. And we all went out onto this overlook, and there were fewer other tourists there, and there was nowhere to go. It was it was back to the parking lot or over this huge cliff edge, and this bear shows up blocking the entrance to to the parking lot. So we're all kind of trapped in this area. Now, fortunately, the bear was not aggressive. It was a black bear, not a grizzly. He was just looking for food. And the guide knew exactly how to handle the situation. Wow. Well, that, that's pretty scary. And I'm glad that everything turned out just right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the kids thought it was the coolest thing ever. But, you know, the adults were a little less impressed. <laughs> Wow. When we were there, it was not bear season, but it would still be very cool to see one from a safe distance. We saw others from a safe distance as well, and that was really cool, like a mom with her cubs and that kind of stuff. So that was really fun. And then my other question is, um, were there areas that the guides took you that you wouldn't have known about or wouldn't have even had access if you if you were on your own? 
Um, I think that we would have definitely had access to any of the areas, but the guides definitely take you to areas that are less populated and a little bit off the beaten track. So that's kind of nice because A, there's not huge crowds, but also it's areas that you wouldn't necessarily go to if you were doing it on your own. Do you remember any of your favorite spots that you went to? I love the geothermal features because I just think they're weird and cool and they're all different. And so we went to one area. I can't for the life of me remember the name of it, but it was some geothermal features that are a little bit um, just not on the tourist trail. Uh, and so that was fun to see. I also really liked um, the guide stopped in a little area near a geothermal feature and started to uh, show the kids about acidity and alkaline. Just And she had a thermometer that she could she just, um, like flash at the feature and it would tell her the temperature. And so the kids were really really into that as well. I mean, that's not something I think most people carry around with them. Very cool. Well, um, and then the last question is, what was the name of the, do you remember the name of the particular tour that you did with your, um, with your family? I think it's called Yellowstone for Families. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and, but they, they have a couple of, they do it different dates. It's always in the summer. They don't, I haven't seen a winter option okay. um, for that particular one. Uh, and then they have a couple of options. You can stay at, with the lodges, you stay at, at Mammoth and then Grant Village or Mammoth and then the Snow Lodge at um, Old Faithful. And we, we chose Grant Village because we had been to Grant Village and we just think it's super beautiful and peaceful. Um, and doesn't get the crowds. And, and doesn't get the, the crowds. The Old Faithful area does. <laughs> exactly. And given that we were going 4th of July week, we really didn't want to stay anywhere near Old Faithful. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Thank you so much for your insights. And I'm so glad that you enjoyed and your your kids got to enjoy and experience Yellowstone. Yeah, well, they've already asked when we're going back. <laughs> I bet. I can't wait to go back. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. Please tell your friends, send us your comments, write a review on iTunes, like us on Twitter, Facebook. We'd also love to hear from you from the parks that you're visiting. So please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks on Instagram from the parks that you're visiting. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.